Mindfulness Mode 529. Success is not any definition or any construct that someone else figures out for you. Hey, Mindful Tribe, you've probably known somebody that's worked in corporate and uh, because of that, they have a very good grip on how to help other people. They show great leadership skills. They maybe do a lot of speaking. Well, I'm describing my guest that I'm excited to introduce you to today, and his name is David Nielsen. David, welcome to Mindfulness Mode. How are you? Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm terrific today. And yeah, thank you for the welcome and the opportunity to be with you and your listeners today. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I just want to share a little bit about you with Mindful Tribe. David is a lifelong corporate leader, and he spent 18 years in the corporate world and then another 33 years consulting to organizations and coaching executives. And he's been a frequent speaker at Chief Executive Network, Management Resources Association, Training Directors Forum, and so many organizations. Well, the reason I know David is because he's reached out to me uh, in, in regards to a book that he's just recently written, and he sent me a couple of copies of this book, and man, it's really well written. It's well thought out. It's informative. It's called The Nine dimensions of conscious success. So it sounds like it's right up my alley, and it is. It was a great book to read, and I want to thank you for sending me the two copies of this book, David. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, that's cool. So what does mindfulness mean to you, David? When I looked at some of your information, I think there are really a lot of very close connections when I think about self-awareness, when I think about consciousness, when I think about mindfulness. For me, it is a very deliberate choice to be very aware of where you are. And mindfulness, in kind of my thinking, is that you're willing to take the time and take in particularly the rush of day-to-day life, take a pause and be very with yourself in terms of understanding how you're doing emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually, etc. And so I think that when I talked about the nine dimensions of conscious success, and in the book we talk about conscious and consciousness and being deliberate, I really think that there's a very close connection to mindfulness, and that is that it's a very focused and deliberate choice to be very aware of where you are um, in your uh, sort of internally and be thinking about the influence externally as well. Well, I think you're you're right on. And uh, yeah, I think this book is, is so excellent for anybody that's interested in mindfulness, anybody that's interested in business or an entrepreneur who wants to advance their ability in the field of entrepreneurship. There's so much here. And, it, and not only that, it's a beautiful book. I mean, it's it's published by Sound Wisdom. And obviously, you have put a lot of effort into making sure it's, it's very carefully written and crafted. The cover's beautiful. And if you're listening today, you are going to get a chance to get 
a free copy of this book because I'm going to send it to you. But what you have to do is listen to the whole interview and you'll hear at the end that I'll tell you what to do so that you can have a chance to win a free copy of the book. Why did you decide to write this book, David? You know, essentially, uh, as we all move through life, and uh, I think for a lot of people, you get older and you begin being a bit more reflective, or maybe I could say a bit more mindful about where I am in life and and what's the meaning of all of it. Well, as I approached 60, I had had really great fortune. I'd been very blessed to have great clients, and I'd operated... Uh, uh, both, as you mentioned, uh, you know, 18 years in the corporate world, and then a pretty successful run as an executive uh, coach and a management consultant. And I had wonderful clients, and I'd learned so much from all of the people I uh, was fortunate enough to work with. And so as I approached that sort of magic milestone of 60, I thought a couple of things. Number one, there must be some way that I should really reflect on what I've learned and what the value of all that learning is. And secondly, I really thought about giving back and particularly giving back to younger people that were starting out their careers because I became fairly reflective about um, what it was like when I started compared to what it is now. And I was heightened, uh, had heightened awareness of um, the cost of college tuition compared to when I started. It's it's right. amazingly different and much more expensive. Oh, it's expensive. Um, yeah. It's very expensive. And, you know, just sheer population growth, the, the intense competition for jobs for young people graduating from college, et cetera. At any rate, all of that led me to say, there's a way for me to give back. There's a way for me to share things that I learned and I had written articles that had been published, but I'd never written a book. And I had to, first of all, sort of catch myself and say, my gosh, what business do I have writing a book? I've never written a book before, but everybody has to start somewhere. So that was really the thinking, all of that, that caused me to say, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to try and give back, uh, particularly to younger people, a way that they can maybe learn that will help them on their path. Well, you've certainly done a great job with your first book, I'll tell you. Uh, let's go back to millennials. What are some other reasons why you think things are tough for millennials these days? You know, it's interesting. I'm a baby boomer. And when you look at a lot of the research, um, in, in some of the very early articles that were written, and many of them were written by baby boomers, they talked about how different millennials were and how, you know, baby boomers had this great influence on the world. They were certainly numerically a significant group. And one of the things that struck me is that after baby boomers, millennials, in fact, very quickly, I believe millennials are the largest group that are, will be influencing the, um, uh, the workforce. They'll be the largest single group and generation in the workforce. I also felt that while the research that I looked at said they have some unique characteristics, uh, I read an article, I forget who wrote it at this point, but somebody said basically that actually millennials are not that different than baby boomers. There are a lot of similarities. And when you get right down to it, they have intense and great power in society, but there are a lot of similarities. And um, because of their sheer numbers and because of, again, the challenges that I was witnessing as millennials entered the workplace for a lot of my clients, you know, fitting in and being able to be not only 
appreciated for the gifts that they could bring, but also respected in the challenges that potentially they were raising. Uh, I thought, you know, maybe there's a way, hopefully without sounding like a grumpy old man, maybe there's a way for me to offer some insights. Well, I think you definitely did that. Now, I I really enjoyed chapter nine. And in chapter nine, you talked about being the youngest in your family and how you developed a certain habit. Chapter nine is related to listening. So can you tell us more about that habit and, and about the art of listening? Sure. The interesting part of it was that I uh, I grew up in a family and it was characterized by a couple of things. Number one, my mother, my father, and my two older sisters were all very bright, very articulate. Their command of vocabulary and of the language was quite impressive. And I remember thinking that at the time. The other thing that um, was very characteristic of my growing up time is that we we really, far more often than I think occurs today, we had dinners at the dinner table together. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a very rare thing if, as a family, we weren't together at, at dinner. And uh, my, both my parents were great about generating discussions. And they might relate to, you know, what did we do today in school or what did we learn or things that were of interest But one of the things that started happening is I realized that as the youngest, the baby in the family, I found myself fighting for airspace with four other uh, adults, essentially. That was number one. Number two, I would listen to what they were saying, but I wasn't really listening. What I was doing was reacting to what they were saying by thinking about what I was going to say which meant that I very frequently didn't hear the whole message or hear everything that was said. And in my effort to want to be heard, then I would, you know, jump in and offer my reactive observation or comment, which oftentimes wasn't uh, really very, uh, probably wasn't very relevant at times, but it was a reflection of my enthusiasm and youth and, you know, wanting to be heard. So I learned uh, to think about what I was going to say during these discussions. Well, I spent the next probably 30 years of my life unlearning that because I realized if I'm so focused on thinking about what I'm going to say in response to someone, generally, I'm not really listening to them and thinking about what they're saying. And so I had to unlearn that, um, uh, that I wasn't, uh, the fact is I wasn't a very good listener and I had to really work on that. Well, I think that it's awesome that you devoted a whole chapter to listening, because I think that listening is something we can always improve. And I think that there are a lot of people that don't do a very good job of listening. And I think I was one of them a long time ago. Somebody told me, well, you're not really a very good listener, are you? And I thought, whoa. And I was like so taken aback. I mean, I was very, I was young, very young at the time, but I was so taken aback because I thought I was a great listener. But it really made me stop and think, are you really listening? Are you showing people that you're a good listener? Are you reflecting on what they're saying in an effective and positive way? You know, so, yeah, I think that being a good listener is really crucial. It is crucial. And I'll tell you, uh, from my perspective, Bruce, uh, it has several key advantages. Number one is it allows you to connect with either the other person or other people 
in a way that allows you then to, when you are ready to offer a thought or an opinion, it's far more relevant because you've taken all the information in and you're really sort of up to date on where the conversation is. I think the other key thing is it's one of the simplest things that we can do to show respect to others. Somebody wrote a book years ago that said, you know, the, the most fundamental need that most humans have is they want to be heard. And so when we listen well, we really reinforce that we're connected with that individual and that we're respecting them. Oh, I totally agree with that. Well, as I sit here looking at your book, I think it would be really not a good thing if I didn't say to you, what does conscious success really mean to you? So let's talk about that. That's a big topic, and that's really the the starting point for the book. Yeah. One of the things that I realized in looking at my own life and, again, comparing it to people that are starting out, and I'll just draw these two differences, and I'm not sure it's specifically unique to baby boomers versus millennials, but I think there's some themes there. One of the things that I realized is that the model that I grew up with was my father worked for a large corporation for 46 years. And so the model that I thought was the model was you find a great company, go to work for him, and you work for him forever and then you retire. And um, number one, <clears throat> as my career uh, as I went through the, the various years and, and passages of my career, I began to see data that suggested that was changing pretty radically. Um, you know, the, the people of my father's generation did, in fact, stay with companies a long time. But heck, by the time I was 30 or 35, I think the data said that most people would have five to six different careers or different companies that they'd worked for. And the other thing that was so important about that is that it also drove my notion of success, which was if I'm going to go to work for a company, following the pattern set by my father, I'm going to try to rise up, if you will, the corporate ladder. I'm going to look for those opportunities where I can look at promotions, I can get additional responsibility. Some portion of that also related to the fact that every time I would get promoted, I'd make more money. And that seemed like a good thing. The contrast now that I'll draw is that, number one, working for a company for 46 years is extremely rare for people starting out today. That's number one. Number two, their value construct is different. They, in many, many cases, don't value this notion of work your way up the ladder and make more money at each step and so on and so forth. Quite honestly, some of the data that I've read about uh, millennials and some of the subsequent generations, I think they have a much greater sense of work-life balance. I think they have a much greater sense that life experiences may be more important to them than work experiences. And so the point of all that is that I came at this notion of conscious success with the starting point being success is not any definition or any construct that someone else figures out for you. And so I write a lot in the early chapters of the book about success is what you deem it to be. And so, you know, I think all of us uh, have an obligation to be responsible citizens and, um, you know, potentially uh, we have to be able to make a decent living. And, um, but that said, success is whatever an individual wants it to be. 
And it may have nothing to do with wealth, with positional power, with um, a career in a company. So start with, you have to figure out what does it mean to you? What does success mean to you? And then the consciousness part of it is, how can you be very deliberate and purposeful in trying to achieve that success for yourself? Did that answer that question? That does answer the question. And I think that's so important because I think that people just don't stop to think, what does success really mean? And I think that's awesome that you that you dealt with that right away in the book and and made us realize that we have to define our own version of what success means. Right. Yeah, right. That's great. And then again, consciousness. And so, yes. you know, in the book, we created the the nine dimensions model. And again, I think this is very closely related to mindfulness. The three foundational elements of the nine dimensions are purpose, self-awareness, and social awareness. And that purpose is really one of the the core elements of the book that relates to your own definition of success. I, I love a quote from, John, from Mark Twain, who said, the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you figure out why. Yes. And so I spent a fair minute, bit of time in the book and with some of the tools that are available in helping people define their own purpose. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great quote for sure. Well, I want to ask you a question about bullying because I always ask that question on my uh, show because I've worked in bullying <clears throat> prevention for a long time. But do you have a story about bullying? Maybe it's through, you know, in the corporate world. Maybe it's when you were a kid or as an adult where mindfulness would have made a difference. Yes. And in fact, I think uh, I even touch on this individual. Uh, uh, of course, we uh, we protect the uh, the individuals. But the example that I can come up with is an example with a corporate executive. And, you know, this whole notion of bullying is a pretty fascinating one. Bullies exist everywhere. And I can think back to people that I may have seen when I was growing up that I would say, well, that 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 guy is kind of a bully. But as I grew up and as I became more involved in my career, it began to be clear that, you know, bullying can exist anywhere. And even adults can be bullies. And, oh, yeah. you know, at some, you're smarter about this than I am. So I'm very interested in your reaction to what I'm about to say. But I think, you know, bully, bullies or bullying is about the image of power or perceived power. And the heart of it very often, I think, for a lot of bullies is a sense of insecurity, but nevertheless, it exists. The story that I'll tell is about a very senior level executive. He was, he was a scientist at a large pharmaceutical firm, and he was exceptionally smart. He was very smart. Well, he used his intelligence as the tool of his bullying. And I watched him in meetings. And at one point, I was actually facilitating a meeting. And without getting very aggressive, because I was facilitating an agenda, I called out what he was doing. Not so much that I called him out as a bully, but I called out the behavior relative to the objective of what we were trying to achieve in this meeting. And I attempted to remain very calm and, um, and not engage because his bullying wasn't directed at me. I was an objective facilitator. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And the intervention, if you will, my sort of stopping the action and then facilitating a discussion helped um, calm the effort a little bit. And, you know, in the moment, I might have been mindful. And so that was helpful for me, the facilitator. But after that event, what I became aware of, too, is because in the early stages of him specifically bullying people in the room, I was fascinated, and I think this is one of the challenges with bullying, with the initial reaction is to immediately react and engage and engage in the same way that the bully is engaging, which, and again, I'll be quiet and get your response to this, but in my experience, that tends to just cause things to escalate. It doesn't reduce the bullying. It doesn't reduce the emotional intensity. It causes it to escalate. And so I think mindfulness, it's very difficult and it is a discipline. But I think mindfulness on the part, if you're the recipient of uh, bullying or of bullying behavior, one of the first steps is don't engage in the same way. And I think mindfulness allows you potentially to stop, pause, and take inventory of where you are and what your reactions, what the reaction is that you might initially be having. And maybe with a lot of discipline and practice, you can even perhaps challenge yourself to say, there's probably a better approach for me. Let me be quiet and get your thoughts about that. Well, I love the fact that you called him out and that you made a conscious effort not to show emotion as you did that. Because that's a key factor here. And that's the mistake that a lot of people make because as humans, you know, we, we normally have emotion and a lot of times we show it without even thinking that we have a choice. And so making that conscious choice, I'm not going to show emotion is extremely important in how you do that. And, and you're absolutely right that it's very important not to not to do the same thing, the same kind of thing that they have engaged in, that's not going to be a positive thing either. So I really think that you did a great job of dealing with that situation. Well, and it's interesting in that, in those situations, and so not all arguments are a function of bullying, but in my experience, most all arguments are a function of a high emotional intensity. And, you know, I've coached people and I've taught for years that it's very difficult to have a one-sided argument. So if somebody is wanting to bully or somebody is wanting to initiate an argument or a fight, if you don't engage, they're left with nothing. They can't do it by themselves. And in group settings, particularly, it's amazing to watch the group then watch how the emotional intensity diminishes and things begin to calm down because nobody's willing to engage with this, you know, highly emotional bully or uh, whoever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Absolutely. Yeah. David, as we move on in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? I would say a mentor of mine, a fellow by the name of John Jones. He's long past now, but he uh, was the founder of University Associates, which was a great organization 
that helped to develop many, many managers and organization development professionals um, that were out there doing this work. John Jones, he was very, very focused on mindfulness and consciousness. And he mentored me at a time in my life when I most needed it. Oh, that's great. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? It's made me more, number one, present with those with whom I have relationships. It's made me more conscious of how I am in the moment. And it has also caused me to be better. And, you know, I'm a, a like so many, I'm still a work in progress. We're all working on it. But it's caused me, I think, to be more effective, particularly when I might be hooked into a high level of emotional intensity. Tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. Uh, very important. Uh, years and years ago, when I went through some personal growth work, um, and an interesting book, and I'll just give a shout out to Tom Crum, who wrote the book, The Magic of Conflict. And I spent several weeks with Tom um, uh, really understanding conflict. And one of the things that we did in those very intense sessions, we started every morning with meditation and breathing. And I learned so much about focusing inwardly and becoming introspective, but also quiet just through the power of breathing. And uh, one of the things that he, he taught me, particularly in managing stress, also it has some benefits for people that have trouble sleeping, which is to measure your breathing and essentially count your, uh, your intake and then try and exhale at twice the rate of the intake. So if it takes you, you know, a count of five to inhale, try and exhale slowly to a count of 10. Has marvelous benefits. Great advice. I really like that. And the next question was about a book. So you mentioned Tom Crumb's The Magic of Conflict. Is that the book you would like us to put in our show notes? I think it would be great. And I, to be honest with you, I still have my copy and I know where it is. I, uh, I think it's still in print, but I'm not sure. But you can get copies. The, the first book that I would, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, highlight would be The Nine Dimensions of Conscious Success about mindfulness, because there's so much in there about self-awareness. But particularly since your focus is on mindfulness and the, uh, the problems with bullying, um, he is wonderful at understanding conflict and teaching about it in a way that would help everybody who uh, has ever encountered a bully. And you are wonderful at presenting a practical approach for how we can bring some of these tools into our, like, whether it's our business, our life, our entrepreneurial life through your book, because it's very direct, you know, you're not sort of wallowing around, wavering around. It's very direct and concise. And yet you tell stories and you make it an easy read. You've made it so that it's obviously you've done a lot of editing and you've brought it down to the point where it's straightforward and it's very easy to understand. So I really appreciated your book, The Nine Dimensions of Conscious Success. So thanks for writing it. Thanks so much for the compliments. And what you said is true. The edit process was was grueling at times because we edited and re-edited and re-edited. We went through it a lot. But the other challenge, particularly for me as a first-time author, was, you know, I feel as though I have some things to share with people, but 
if I can't keep them engaged through the book, then they won't get the, the benefit of the messages that I have. So there was a lot to and a lot of learning on my part to be able to say, okay, I'll, I'll share content, but I need there to be a way to keep people engaged. And I think it needs to be practical. Yeah. And that's obvious that you think that. And it's it's also a beautiful book. The cover is very beautiful. It feels good. It looks awesome. And then inside, as soon as you look at the book, you see that it's full color and you've got color diagrams and graphics and the text is easily readable. It's not too small or anything like that. It's a very pleasant book to look at and pick up and just read a chapter or so of it as well. If you you don't, I read the whole book and and enjoyed it very very much. It looks to me like you're you're actually looking at it and yeah. You're, oh I yeah, am. hold it up. Oh yeah. great, yeah. yeah. That it does is look a good, good doesn't book. it, David? <laughs> yeah, it's a good looking book. That's for sure. And Ken Blanchard did the forward, and isn't Ken terrific? He is an amazing man. He's one person that I am very, very blessed to have met. He has had such an amazing influence on so many people, and it really has been a pleasure to get to know him. And he was gracious enough to write that uh, that forward. Well, that's super that he did. And at the beginning of the interview, I mentioned that I was going to give out a copy of this book. And it's a signed, it's an autographed copy by the author. And uh, I would love to send it out. And all you have to do is send me an email, uh, Mindful Tribe, and tell me in the email the name of the last chapter. And that is Conscious Action Plan. Uh, Now, the thing is, as we're going through this uh, coronavirus pandemic, the borders are closed. And I won't be able to send this book across the border. I'm pretty sure because somebody tried to send me a book from the United States a few days ago and they said there was no way they could do it. Let me make an offer to you and I don't okay. want to steal your thunder, no, but not particularly at all. if if somebody responds and you're able to send them the book, that would be great. But I'll make another offer and that is in coordination with you. If you should get uh, and, and let's say that we picked the first two that you're able to get of your listeners of the mindfulness tribe. If you get two and they happen to be in the United States, you let me know of the address and I'll send two to the first two that respond. You'll have to manage that and handle making that selection. But I'll send two signed copies of the book to the first two that respond if they're in the United States. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for that offer. David, I really appreciate it. So yeah, send me an email at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. Put conscious action plan in the subject line. That's the title of chapter 11. And you have won yourself two books. So that's awesome. And if you're in Canada or another country, I'll send you one book. Uh, Wherever you are, send me your address and I'll send you a book. And that's great. That's awesome. So thank you. And thank you for coming on the show today, David. Well, thank you for hosting it. And thank you for the great work you do around mindfulness, but also this area of bullying. It's badly needed in our society. And, um, you know, I think the whole mindfulness topic also is certainly something to remember as the world is going through this current health crisis. And 
being mindful, starting each day perhaps with some sort of mindfulness exercise or a breathing exercise, I think can really help all of us get through this. So thank you so much for your work and thank you for hosting this and having me on your podcast. I appreciate that, David. And where can we reach out to you? What's the best place to find you? The best place is to go to the website. It's www.david. E. Nielsen, and I'll spell it D A V I D E N I E L S O N dot com. That's our website. It features information about the book, about speaking engagements, our workshops, and also um, to help people with their own sort of conscious success and their, their own self awareness. We have a nine dimensions assessment that you can take. And uh, the website talks about how you can access the assessment and get your own customized report. Great. Thanks for making that available. And thanks for being on the show. So all the best to you, David. Thank you so much, Bruce. And all the best to you. Okay. Bye now.